You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, Black Monday in the world of the NFL. Welcome into Crunch Time here on the game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and World Series champion, Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here. 337-706-0111 is the number to call on the game hotline. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Let me paint a picture for you. It's final Sunday of the NFL regular season. Saints were eliminated from playoff contention, but, you know, Wanted to keep the win streak going. Wanted to find a way to finish 2022 off strong and, you know, find a positive out of what has been a crap storm of a year to build on for, for 2023. You come out of the gate, a couple of big plays. Chris Lave scores a 25-yard touchdown, goes over 1,000 yards receiving, gets another touchdown. Saints are in business. Seven, you're up seven nothing. Four minutes into the game, you're feeling all right. You know, we we, we got something here. You get a stop. Next, Alvin next next drive. Alvin Kamara gets a big run. You're like, oh, Kamara looks good today. Might have something here. A couple drives later, he gets another big run. All right, you know, here we go. Wrong. You know what followed after that? Three quarters of suck suck you let Carolina who fumbled on their way into the end zone somehow still manage to recover the football and score the touchdown to tie the game same thing with that that fumble on the punt return correct ball went right into their fullback hands. like oh uh, I guess we'll take it and, and then you just go back and forth with Carolina for the rest of the second half and you know Will Lutz misses a field goal. Okay, you know, it's un- it's unfortunate, but it happens. It's whatever. More than it should have this year, but... We're getting there. That was the first one. You miss one... Okay, you know, a bad kick. Fine, cool, whatever. And then Carolina gets the ball back with minute 40, I think it was, deep in their own territory. Sam Darnold heaves up a prayer severely underthrown. DJ Moore definitely had a step. Correct. Multiple steps. Correct. Severely underthrown because of the pressure put on by Cam Jordan, so props to him. Correct. Daniel Sorensen picks it off. And returns it all the way to 35. So you're like, all right, we need like 10 yards. Even then, you think, this is still very much in Will Lutz's range. Like, Correct. Even if you get zero yards. Let's, let's get a first down right here, run the clock out, kick the field goal, it was an ugly game, but look, everybody goes home happy, right? You win, you finish strong, whatever. No, 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 you can't do that. Nope. Because what what is what does Will Lutz do? Will Lutz looked like the Ohio State kicker at the end of the game against Georgia. That's what he looked like. Completely shanked it. So now you give Carolina who was led by a quarterback that at this point had 22 yards passing. 
22. Mm-hmm. I, I want to emphasize that. 22. Fourth quarter, this man had only thrown for 22 yards. 14 net because of the sack. Correct. They, they drive down the field. He gets 20 yards on one play, drive down the field. Eddie Pinheiro nails a 42-yard game-winning field goal, and you get swept by a team that willingly traded their two best offensive players. Willingly. Here, please take them. We don't want them anymore. Here you go. And, and fired their head coach. I definitely believe DJ Moore is better than Robbie Anderson, but a, a, now. A, a solid piece to the offense, yes, now. in Robbie Anderson. DJ Moore is a better receiver now. Earlier this year when the trade went down, I'm not so sure. Mm. But uh, we, 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 can, we can have that conversation later. You let them beat you. Two, o- two offensive pieces they, they willingly traded away, and you had multiple times throughout the season you went back and forth between quarterbacks. Fired and, their coach and got rid of your head went coach. back and forth between quarterbacks, which one of them not even there anymore, are already on a new team. I, I, I have, I have no words. You have a strong first drive. Your defense played. I'm, I'm going to give credit to the defense. They played pretty well all game long. They played extremely well. The defense the played only, well. The only thing that really looked bad about the Saints was the fact that they couldn't secure sacks on Sam Darnold, which led to him getting a whole bunch of rushing yards. And, and, you know, that is what it is. The offense sucked. Oh, putrid. God, it was awful. I, I mean, Andy Dalton... Andy Dalton and Alvin Kamara were the two bright spots, and it, it's... It's a stretch to say that Dalton was a bright spot. Uh, He really didn't do anything wrong, except, you know, throw at the feet of Alvin Kamara a couple of times. But, you know, I I digress. Just a a couple of things that I noticed yesterday that really I've noticed throughout the season, but they came to a head yesterday. Yesterday. And we'll get into that in just a second. Let's go to the hotline now. Martin, what's up? Look, I know the Saints played bad, but I still think they played better than what my Cowboys played yesterday. I don't know what kind of team showed up there yesterday. But, look, look, uh, and look. I, know I'm, I, I'm, I, I, I don't know. Go ahead. I'm, I'm going to be real with you, Martin. They didn't play well yesterday. They did not. But, oh, but. Oh, you ain't got to sugarcoat it for me. I already know that. They haven't played. Good the last, since Dak Prescott come back. Oh, correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, they have not played. That's a now, stretch. I'm not because I know they're gonna have that Cowboy saying that calls in. You know, call me and uh, that uh, he said I wasn't a Cowboy, but it's almost like I think Dak Prescott is still hurt or something because I don't get it. I, I I just don't get it. He he, he, he certainly to the same spot twice in a row. He certainly you know, didn't look time, right I, yesterday. Wait, say that again? He certainly didn't look right yesterday. He hadn't looked good since he come back from that from that from that injury that he came back from. I mean, he look at the interceptions he's throwing. I mean, these are not like balls that's that's being deflected off his wide receiver, you know, or anything. 
I mean, yesterday he threw it to the same spot twice. Like, the first time he throws it, okay, defender, drops it, okay. What does he do? Same, it looks like <laughs> this. Same exact play <laughs> oh, that I'm, he I'm, ran. And what happens? Pick six. I'm sorry, I mean, Martin. Like, I laughed. I laughed so hard when that happened. <laughs> he threw the like, exact same pass. The exact same, and to the Kendall, exact same defender. And Kendall and Fuller. Happens? And Kendall Fuller said, I'm not dropping this one. <laughs> no, it's like, Merry Christmas, thank you very much. And I hate to break it to the Cowboys fans out there. If this Cowboys team shows up Monday, a week from today, against Tampa Brady or Bacon 45, like Jim Romy calls them, we're not winning that game. You know, I don't know what's going on with Dak. I, like, I, I, maybe he's still hurt, and he, we just don't know about it. I, I don't know, but he just hadn't been. But my patience is running slim with that guy, you know, and we have these callers that call, oh, Dak's a good quarterback. Good quarterbacks win big games. Every time Dak has been in a big game, a meaningful game, he's choked. I'm sorry. He ain't never choked. You know, he ain't showed me any differently, you know. And even if we do beat the Buccaneers, I still don't think we can beat, you know, either Philly or even better yet, San Francisco with the way San Francisco's been playing. You know, I'm not getting my hopes up just for them to be dashed again. You know, but this Cowboys team, they look flat. They look, I mean, our punter was dropping punts. I mean, uh, that, and that's another thing. They had receivers that were kind of, I mean, throws that he usually would have made before the injury, he, he wasn't making. He was overthrowing so, wide receivers. I mean, it's like, I don't, I don't know what's going on with that cat, but he better get it together. If he wants to win in, in the playoffs and it takes a team effort, but and that's another thing, our defense didn't show up. You're gonna yeah. let a quarterback like Sam Howe light you up like he's a first string quarterback? Come on, man! Well, well, come on! In, in in Sam Howell's defense, this was the first real opportunity he had been given. But I mean, he's still but, but a I third but I string, agree with you. Second string quarterback. And, and and Martin, I'm, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to let you run, but I, I do under I do understand what you're saying. I'm about to explain why I think the Cowboys played the way they played yesterday. Okay, and I'll so, hang up and listen. I appreciate y'all, but hopefully some good things come out of Monday because man, I've just had about enough of this this circus that's going on in Dallas. You know, appreciate but the call. I'm man. always be a Cowboys fan. Thanks, buddy. Have a good one. So so quickly, you know, I'll, I'll answer the Cowboy question. Plain and plain and simple, it, it it really is. They didn't care about yesterday. They just didn't. the 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 i the idea was, look, we're already in the playoffs. Our matchups just about set. We can't really gain anything from winning this game. What's the matter? That's that's what that's what Dallas said. They they didn't care. Now, did Dak play well yesterday? No. No, 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 he did not. He completed sub-40% of his passes. Dak did not play well. That was the worst game of Dak's entire career. Entire career. College included. That was the worst game he has ever played. That QBR, though. Oh, bro. <laughs> 14.8. Juicy. But no, so... I think you see a much different Dallas team on Monday night. I just do. I don't know why I feel that way. I can't back that up with any evidence. I, I just... You've seen it before. Teams play poorly. What do they do? They come back with the best game of their lives. Now, 
Do I think Dallas is going to play the, the game of their lives? No. But I think they, they are a much better team against Tampa than they were against Washington. And especially against a sub-500 team in Tampa. Yeah. Like, like if you lose to a sub-500 team in Tampa, Jeez. that Sean does Payton, not look Sean good. Sean Payton might go to Dallas after all. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, it, it might... You might be Jerry Jones and be like, "All right, uh, Mike, it's it's okay. What? I think it's time to move on." I, I I was giving you a chance, and you made the playoffs again, but you lose to a sub five hundred Bucks team. Yep, that has That's looked bad. really lo- rough. They had won before week eighteen. They had won the previous two games, and then came from behind five weeks ago to beat New Orleans, but. They've looked really bad at times, and you still found a way to lose. I know it's in Tampa, and I know they had the home field advantage because they won the division, but still, this is a much better squad, and, if, you, and, you, and, and you still fumble the bag. If Tampa beats Dallas, I don't have faith that they'll beat anybody else. Just don't. Tampa has struggled all season long. They're not very good. Their defense has been suspect outside of their their run stopping. Tom Brady has looked shaky at points. Now there's flashes where you're like, oh God, there's there's TB12 again. And then there's points like, God, Tom should have retired three years ago. And it's like, when do when do we see like, like when do we see the the prime Brady in the right? regular season or in the playoffs? More That's- times than not, you see him in the playoffs. Because like even even last but- year when he got eliminated. He still had he still had that really good second half to to come back. Mike Evans has been inconsistent. Chris Godwin has struggled at times. I, I don't even know who you're playing at tight end. Oh, that's that's a that's a I fun little carousel. I don't know who you're playing at tight end. He threw a touchdown to Kyle Rudolph yesterday. <sighs> Haven't heard that name in six years. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but I mean, you get my point. But again. I was going to say, I hadn't really heard it from him since he caught the touchdown to beat the Saints in OT. Dallas and Tampa might be the most intriguing game of the weekend. Here's here's the thing, though, because I think, I think looking at it early on, I'm leaning towards picking all the home games for the NFC. So that means, to me, Dallas loses... New York loses, and then Seattle loses to San Fran, which if that's the case, and you see this, Brock Purdy and the 49ers get the Vikings, and then Philly and Tampa play one another. Which Philly would win that game. Which to me, it's like, look, this is where experience in the playoffs really matters. None, most, okay, I'm going to say most of this Philly team, especially with Jalen Hurts, Jalen, he didn't get any experience in the playoffs till last year, and it didn't look very good. So, and and you look at it, experience means a lot in the playoffs, and who has the most experience? You really Tom, Tom Brady and the you Bucks. really think? I think it's I think there's a I think there's Tampa a pretty good chance beats Philly. There's a solid chance. James. There's a solid chance. James. James. You're telling me 
that a sub-500 team is going to make it to the conference championship game after beating the team with the best record in the entire league. We've seen it happen before. The only reason we've, that we've seen it happen for the only not? reason that they've lost games the last couple of weeks is because they didn't have Jalen Hurts. Correct. So really, we we could say that this is a fifteen and two team. Could I mean could we not? Because because let, let's be honest, the Eagles have Jalen Hurts. Do the Saints win that game? Hmm, probably not. However, you can't speculate on that because that he was wasn't the case. He also was injured. Tampa, outside of Tom Brady, I have no faith in Tampa. None. Zero. I don't have faith in their defense. I don't have faith in their O-line. I don't have faith in their coaching staff. I think Todd Bowles is highly overrated. I think Bruce Arians is turning into Jerry Jones 2.0 and can't get out of the way. There's a lot of issues in Tampa, but I look at most of that squad. Atlanta burned them. A lot, yesterday. Of, a lot of that squad, a lot of that core, was from that 2020 championship. That's that was a different time. That was a different time. That was a completely different Tampa team than what you're seeing now. Brady was a much better quarterback at 43 than he is at 45. Much better. This is not the same Tom Brady that we are used to seeing. It's just not. I mean, we still have to get to the first round, but I, I don't. I, I, yeah, I'm, I I'm saying don't don't expect a 20 point blowout by Philly if Tampa if they play against oh, Tampa. I wouldn't expect that either. But Philly's going to win the game. Tampa just doesn't have the, Tampa doesn't have the dogs to to last like that. They just they don't. If they beat Dallas, if they beat Dallas, I don't think they get past Philly. I could be wrong, but I don't think they will. It's just me. Now that you start, now that you scored an Amazon Alexa or Google Home smart speaker for Christmas, listen to the game Southwest Louisiana's sports station on it. Just ask Alexa or Google Home to play the game Southwest Louisiana, and it's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles with you at your office, your home. And everywhere you go, we'll take a time out. And when we return, we'll continue the Saints conversation and bring you audio from head coach Dennis Allen following the loss yesterday right here on the game. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and World Series champion Houston Astros. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, so like I alluded to earlier, uh, I saw a lot of things during the Saints game yesterday that really need to be discussed. And the big one is is play calling. It was just horrible all season long. It was absolutely horrendous. James, what is with running the ball on first down almost every time? Well, here's the thing with that. The Saints, they were kind of going for it. it they're, not, they're not the 2011 offense anymore. 
I mean, that's pretty obvious. So at this point, you're leaning on your defense. And what's the best way to help your defense? Run the ball, get rid of the clock as much as you can, right? You try to be efficient as you can running the ball. And what's kind of the best way is like establishing yourself on first down. Yeah, is, it always gonna ru- is it always going to work? No. But what that is is conservative. What that, is, what that is is scared. That's not smart play calling. Now look, I'm not saying don't run the ball on first down more times than not. First down is a running down. But every once in a while, why not air it out? Why not, you know, look for those routes where like Rashid Shahid yesterday, where Carolina was running a zone defense and he ran that deep out to the sideline and it was wide open. Wide open. Run plays like that. Run little slant routes where your playmakers can get out in space. I mean, I understand Andy Dalton's not the the best option at quarterback, but I don't know. I just feel like the play calling was super conservative all season long. And that's not... Conservative play calling doesn't win you games. It just doesn't. Well, you didn't have your number one receiver in Michael Thomas for 14 of the games. You moved on from your gunslinger after week three because he was injured, and then you just decided to never go back to him. Your overall... Whose fault fault is that? Dennis Allen's analysis. Okay. Continue. So at that point, you don't have... Well, you obviously can't blame Dennis Allen for the Mike Thomas injury. Well, no. That's just just something that unfortunately happened. So at that point, you're relying on a rookie receiver... Jarvis Landry's been injured all Who year. Who got over 1,000 yards. But it's still a rookie receiver learning learning how to be a professional in the NFL. So you're relying on him to be the wide receiver one. And then over time, you got a guy in Rashid Jaheed who kind of really stepped up, but you didn't have two of your top three guys for pretty much the whole year. Then your RB2 went down and just pretty much – was non-existent and then eventually got injured for the rest of the year, the final few weeks. You've kind of been shuffling around. You And then with that quarterback that you have now who's 34, he's just kind of a okay game manager. You just kind of look for the short throws and you really try not to throw the ball deep, especially since you don't have a lot of pieces that you can go to consistently that you can rely on to catch those deep passes consistently. Because Chris Olave can catch the deep pass, but it's like how often do you trust Chris Olave to catch an Andy Dalton pass not tw- 20 yards down the field. How often? 20-plus yards down the field. Not very often. I mean, I'm not looking for 20-plus yards. 10-15. Just throw the ball. I'm not saying it, it's got to be a go-route, fling it down the field, and hopefully somebody catches it. No, that, that play doesn't... That play's success rate with a quarterback like Andy Dalton is almost zero. It just doesn't work. The, the play calling down the stretch of the season became predictable. Oh, first down, Saints are going to run it here. Oh, second and short, Saints are going to run it here. Where was the play actions? Where were the RPOs with Taysom Hill? Where were... You didn't use Taysom Hill enough this year at all. 
in any facet. You just didn't use them enough. I agree with that. Um, I mean, T- Taysom Hill can throw it. He can run it. He can block. He can catch. We're, we're not joking when we say the Taysom Hill's position is football. The guy can do it all. It's just the identity that they wanted to go with was a play-action team like you wanted. But you wanted to do it with, J- with Jameis Winston. But once you saw him injured and then you just went to Andy, their whole shift in focus was run, try to control the clock, don't make too many mistakes because you saw three interceptions in the Tampa game and you saw three total turnovers or, or four turner, four tor- total turnovers in the Panthers game. So you're like, okay, well, that's what's kind of really killing it right now for the Saints is them turning on the ball over way too much and then the defense not getting enough turnovers. They're still playing good football. They're not allowing a lot of points. They're always in the game. It's just at that point, they had shifted their focus to be a lot more run-heavy, running on first down, because if you're going at second and 10, second and long, and then third and long with an Andy Dalton at quarterback, well, that's just not a recipe for success. So you're trying to run the ball to make it more manageable second and third downs. But you didn't run the ball well. That's the problem. It's one thing if you're gashing defenses for for four yards a carry. But on the season, you didn't run the ball well. Kamara finished with 900 yards. But, I mean, God, half of those came in the last five games of the season. And look. I get when 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 players get hurt and things have to change and and you you change your philosophy a little bit, sure. But you can't change your philosophy so much that it changes your identity. And that's what the Saints did this year. You changed your offensive philosophy so much that you went away from the identity of New Orleans Saints football. I just don't think it really would have mattered. I still think they would have lost these games even if you still try to be the gunslinger mentality with Andy Dalton at quarterback. Here's the other. Here's it's, a, it still would not have been successful and, of an offense, and, and maybe not. I'm so just, it's like to me, it's like you'd rather go with a type of system that works with the current quarterback that you have. Is that really going to always work? No. But it's like, what are you going to do? Well, the, the, that's that you're starting your backup the biggest, for the whole year. The, the biggest, the biggest thing is that James Winston didn't play the back half of the season when he was healthy. That's the biggest problem. But. Play calling play, plays into that. But, you know, anyways. Another big thing is as good as Chris Olave was this year. And he was. Kid was fantastic. And I understand that this is a rookie problem. Way too many drops, way too many fumbles. Really, way too many fumbles everywhere. Kamara had a career high year in terms of fumbling. Ingram had a fumbling problem. Olave fumbled. You fumbled snaps a couple of times this year. I mean, just everywhere, there was a big fumbling problem this year. Now, is is that players becoming too complacent? Maybe. Possibly. Plays, plays a factor in it. Is that coaching becoming too complacent? Maybe. Plays a factor in it. I don't, I don't really know what the big reason for that is. Whatever it is, though, figure it out. You gave teams way too many extra possessions with silly fumbles. 
I mean, just ridiculous plays. And in times when you were in opponent's territory. Correct. So you squandered scoring opportunities. I, I, don't know, I don't know what the main reason is for fumbling as often as you did this year around the, the, the whole team. Figure it out. That's got to change going into 2023. Let's go to the hotline. Ralph, what's up? Hey, guys. Uh, yeah, I totally agree on the fumbling, and I think that kind of goes back to what Alvin Kamara was saying, that uh, he pretty much said practices were a joke during the training camp. There were no repercussions for mistakes, you know, and, and uh, I, I think it does lead to complacency when you get into the you know the regular season. And, um, you know, as much as we've kind of fawned over Chris Olave and, and the things he brings to the table, man, if he doesn't fix his fumbling problem after the catch, that's going to – you know that can definitely become a a psyche type thing for a, for a receiver. You know, so I, I hope that does get fixed. But I couldn't agree more. You know, on a lot of points here, and it, you know, I found it a little bit alarming today in, in Allen's press conference when they were asked him asked him about you know not starting Winston once he was healthy, and he said, "Well, I think we've seen him enough or." have a pretty good evaluation of him, which tells me, well, okay, we, we don't think he can be our quarterback. So, um, you know, he, they're going to move on from him, obviously. Uh, I, I mean, I can't believe Andy Dalton earned a million-dollar incentive for yesterday uh, and reached some milestones because, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I, uh, you know, I, at some point you got to take some shots and, and um, it, it it just didn't work. But what, what concerns me more than anything, kind of going forward, is again, you know, Dennis Allen was like, oh, we're not that far away, 7 and 10. You know, we should have had a few more games here and there, just have to clean up a few things. But the problem is, you know, next year going forward, obviously Michael Thomas isn't coming back because of the restructuring of the contract. That's handwriting on the wall, so it makes it easy for them to cut him. Um, Jarvis Landry, I, I don't know. Do, you know, he was a one-year deal. Do you re-sign him with that injury history? I don't think so. So now you've got two healthy second-year receivers, Shahid and um, Olave. Uh, you certainly can't depend on Traquan Smith. When's the last time Traquan Smith caught a ball? I mean, week four, week five? It's you know, been a few uh, weeks. That's, that's why so I No, he caught one yesterday. Well, I don't remember it, but okay, was, <laughs> yeah, I believe you. It was very but, I mean, irrelevant. Seriously, he he disappears for you know for for oh, long. I, I, I agree. I agree. And, and so you're going to have to add receiver. And now you know what the most concerning thing. Now, obviously, your know, defensive line has been an issue all 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 season as for interior. You know, as far as run stopping. Um, but I'm suddenly really concerned about the offensive line because now you've got Trevor Penning with a list Frank injury. Which is a you know generally speaking a a nine month injury minimum and that's for a a regular guy a big guy you know a, a tackle it's a little bit harder you've got Cesar Ruiz with the same injury although he got hurt a little bit earlier so you've got two key parts of the offensive line coming off pretty major injuries so you know and you have no cap room in free agency so right. yeah we can wish for the mythical Sean Payton number one and get our young quarterback but. Boy, the pieces around him suddenly. Oh, the, pretty you, the, the, the the Saints the Saints need to have just about a major rebuild. Uh, the, I, I, I I agree with you completely, Ralph. Appreciate the call, man. And, and if Pete Carmichael doesn't get fired, I'm gonna be extremely extremely. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I don't think you're gonna have to fire him, uh, Ralph. Appreciate the call, man. Um, Thank you. 
I, I really don't think you're going to have to fire him uh, because I, I think Sean's going to take him wherever he goes. Uh, so I, I think you kind of get out of jail free uh, for, for, for that one. Um, I, I think he could be just sent on to wherever Sean goes. Well, we, we, can, we can continue this after taking the timeout. Yeah, we're going to take a timeout here. Uh, on, and when we return, we will talk more Saints and, like I said, bring you audio from Dennis Allen's post-game press conference yesterday right here on The Game at Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the goner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time. 442 here on your Monday in hour number two. We're going to preview the national championship game. Jamie Plunkett of Frogs today will join us to preview TCU. Corey Diaz will join us at the top of the hour to talk LSU women's basketball, who are off to their best start in program history at 16-0. and 0. We'll talk about all that in hour number two. We'll finish up hour number one here talking New Orleans Saints, continuing that conversation from earlier. Uh, following the loss yesterday, Dennis Allen met with the media, as well as Andy Dalton, Cam Jordan, and Tyron Matthew. Uh, Coach Allen said he was asked, how would you characterize the 2022 season? Look, I think challenging. I mean, um, we obviously didn't win as many games as as, as we would have liked to. Um, I thought our guys fought and battled. I thought they overcame some adversity. You know, we, we there there's a handful of games there that, you know, I feel like if we would have been able to make a couple of critical plays, um, that those games would have the outcome of those games could and uh, could have been different. Um, and then I think we're, we're 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 talking a little bit differently in here. So, um, but that's the nature of the the uh, the game that we play. Um, and so, uh, we've got to find a way to be able to make the critical plays in the critical situations to give ourselves a chance to win the game. Dennis Allen was also asked, "What were the Saints trying to accomplish on that final possession?" We were hoping to be able to to you know convert the first down, get ourselves into a more manageable field goal. Uh, position. We got behind the sticks a little bit. We'd been rushing the ball really well. I think we were averaging four point something a carry. So uh, we felt like we could we could run the ball a little bit. We felt like um, we could utilize some of their timeouts. We had a little bit of a misread there at the at the end in the ball to Alave. Um, it was it was a it was a sloppy series, um, and uh, and we didn't we didn't execute very well there. Sloppy series, coach. It was a sloppy game. Uh, but James, what what are your thoughts on what Dennis Allen said right there? Well, I mean, I agree. They were running well all game. And to me, it, going back to what we were talking about earlier in the show, you were saying that you need to pass the ball more. Well, to me, if you got such a weak passing game, you're not going to really rely on it, especially on first down. And that's kind of what makes it so much more predictable on like, oh, I'm, I'm – it's probably going to be a run because they don't trust themselves passing the ball a whole bunch. So it's like you don't have a good pass game, you don't trust it, and the other team knows you don't trust it, so it's just easier to stop and it becomes a lot more predictable. But I, I, 
I liked the play call. I didn't think it was that bad. It's just at that point, the Carolina Panthers a couple of times this game. I was I was more frustrated when they went forward on fourth down when Kamara got stuffed for three yard loss earlier in the game in the first half. I was more frustrated with that because to me, it screamed you're going to hand it off to Alvin Kamara because how often have you seen them try to sneak it with Andy Dalton? They did it later in the game. And they had to review it to try and get the first down. But the first time that they went for it, they tried to hand it off to Kamara. And to me, that 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 one made it so obvious. If I was Pete Carmichael, I would have gone for a play action. Now they haven't called very many play actions. And that and that's kind of the issue is like, why not try a rollout? Andy's not super athletic, but that's exactly he what can, I said earlier. He can pick up a couple of yards, but even then, kind of run kind of run one of those route that uh those play calls where the art design is when you're at like the tour one yard line where you do a quick play action, you can just kind of put one over the top or even, or even, even then kind of throw one to the flat for the tight end or Camara, just one of them kind of like do a little levels concept. I I felt like that one would have been a lot easier than you trying to run it up the middle once again, where the other team knows it's probably what you're just going to do. So I want to, I want to counteract your, your point about the passing game. Okay. Did you have a poor passing game? Or was your play calling just bad and you stayed away from it? Because let me, let, me, let me tell you what I mean. Chris Lave, 72 catches, over 1,000 yards. Mm-hmm. You see how many targets he had? 119. So I'm not saying all those were, his, were him dropping it. Some of them were just overthrows, underthrows, or pass breakups. Those were targeted to him or within the area because maybe... Andy Dalton threw a bad pass and it went at his feet. Okay. So it still counts as a target. But you did see quite a few of those throughout the season where you should have caught that, Chris. Yeah, yeah you're, absolutely. You're, I'm not I'm not saying you should catch every single one, but quite a few of those you should have caught more. You should, you, I feel like you should have had 90-plus catches. Juwan Johnson had 500 yards mm-hmm. as a tight end. And he's still developing when's, to when's, be a full-time tight end. When's the last time the Saints had a 500-plus yard receiving tight end? Kobe Fleener? Thank you. And that was, what, seven years ago? Seven Uh, years ago? Probably Ben Watson. Alvin Kamara had 490 yards out of the backfield. Out of the backfield! He had 500 yards receiving. Rashid Shaheed, an undrafted free agent that nobody had heard his name until the Arizona game, finished with 488 yards. I don't think you had a poor passing game. I think you just stayed away from it. Because you didn't have a lot proven out there. The guys that were proven is Alvin Kamara, who, even though he's ultra-talented. But why not give those guys a chance? Let's go to the game hotline. Chris, what's up? Hey, uh, just going to make this thing short and sweet. Thank you all for taking my call, first of all. Appreciate Um, you, man. What you got? I I, I think yesterday's game... I think the weather outside, yesterday's game, everything spelled exactly what this season was, mediocre, mediocrity. And and unless the Saints make some changes, uh, and let me ask you, let me ask you all this question. We, we had nothing to lose. Why was Jameis Winston not put in that game yesterday? Would love I'm, to know. I just want, I just want to know that. that Would love to um, know. Dennis Allen doesn't trust him. Yeah. 
you know, but there was nothing to lose. There was nothing to lose, nothing to gain. But uh, mediocrity, and let's hope that uh, we can get us a franchise, a real franchise quarterback this off season, and um, and make make some changes and and get back to the playoffs like we yep. we used to doing. And y'all have a great day, and still who that? Appreciate the call, Chris. And look, I'm I'm gonna I'm correct you one more time. And this is just, again, just my personal thing. I don't think it's so much that Dennis Allen doesn't trust Jameis Winston as much as it is that Dennis Allen doesn't like Jameis Winston. I think he's got a thing against Jameis Winston. Just me personally. I could be wrong. I was going to say that's that's, it's an interesting thing to say because first three weeks and even before the season, he was all about Jameis. That was his his QB, and then all of a sudden switch up after the Panthers game. So, so to me, it's like, what you you don't trust a guy that that hurled three interceptions when he was hurt? That's not fair. That's not fair. Fortunately, not, not a lot of things are fair. That, that that I I don't think that that's a trust thing. I, I think that while Jameis was hurt, the relationship deteriorated, and Dennis wasn't going back to Jameis even if he had to. He would have pulled up Jake Luton or or, or somebody. And gone that route. I just I, I don't believe that he would have ever gone back to Jameis Winston, even if he could. Let's be honest. We tend to have a lot of fun here at the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, a Delta media station. But if you were looking for a career change and have any type of sales experience from retail to telemarketing and everything in between, then Delta Media wants to hear from you. Email your resume to sales director Jeanette Cochran at jcochran at deltamediacorp.com or by calling 896-1600. Take a timeout, wrap-up hour number one right after this. Here on The Game, it's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home. For the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Oh, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time. It's going to be a quick segment as we wrap up hour number one. Continue talking Saints. Why not, Matt? I mean, we've been doing it pretty much the whole hour and talking NFL. And we're after that, we're going to be talking about college football because we have the national championship tonight. But looking at it, you were talking about how need to make a major rebuild. Are you saying they need to blow it up? Not saying they blow it up, but they're not just a few pieces away. Okay. Why well, we, we need we, a lot. We both agree that need to move on from P. Carmichael. We both agree that even though we're not huge fans of Dennis Allen, not right now at least, if, if he gets better, then it's like, okay, well, we're, we're more welcome to you coming over to the cookout. But right now, we we believe that you should move on from P. Carmichael. Dennis Allen's going to stay. What You you need you, to look for a new quarterback. You need a quarterback. You need a second running back. You mm-hmm. need a second receiver, maybe two. And it, it, And it's funny. How you say, get another wide receiver. And it's weird how it's like, I mean, it, this pretty much spells moving on from Michael Thomas, but it's like Michael Thomas pretty much seems like the guy that you would kind of have to, to be like, you know, that security blanket. The that Saints can, don't want to pay him. The Saints don't want to pay him. And then that's what's, and that's what's so weird is... They don't want to pay him to sit on the bench. And they're worried that he's just going to get hurt again 
and you're going to be doing it again. You're going to be paying him 20-plus million a year to sit on the bench. And that's, that's their concern. And so they have a way out of doing that, and they're going to find it. So you need another receiver. You need offensive line depth because you can never have enough. Um, you're going to need another edge rusher now because I doubt you bring Davenport back. Mm-hmm. And you could use some secondary help. You you need a lot. You need a lot. I think there is work to be done, but I think it this team is actually kind of closer than you think it nope. is. Wrong. And and look, I'm I'm not I'm not going to doubt your opinion. If that's the way you think, then then fine. No, the Saint the Saints team needs a lot, a lot, a whole lot. You need more than what two first-round picks for trading Sean Payton can get you. you got to figure it out. You need a lot. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Hour number one's in the books. Hour number two, we're going to kick it off talking to LSU women's hoops, and we'll preview the national championship game right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the Fighting Tigers and World Series champion, Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of Crunch Time here on a Monday. You're listening to The Game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and World Series champion Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 337-706-0111 is the number for the game hotline. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the Simulcast Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. In hour number one, we talked a lot about the New Orleans Saints and their Week 18 loss to Carolina. And what's next? Um, they, they need a lot. It, it's just a laundry list of, of things that the Saints need to accomplish in the offseason if they want to find or have a more successful 2023. In our number two, we will preview the college football national championship game tonight between TCU and Georgia. We're going to give our picks. We're going to talk to Jamie Plunkett of Frogs Today, who's going to give you the rundown on the Horned Frogs and the Cinderella season that they have had. But right now, let's talk LSU women's basketball off to their best start in program history, 16-0 and and number 5 in the country. Corey Diaz of the Daily Advertiser covers the LSU Lady Tigers for the Advertiser. He joins us on the game hotline. Corey, good afternoon, sir. How are you? What's up, buddy? Doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm doing absolutely fantastic on, on this Monday. <laughs> I, look, I'll be honest with you. I forgot it was Monday. I don't even know what day of the week it is. <laughs> God, that that's a that's a great life to live, right? <laughs> so if you say so, you, you you live you live it for a week or two, you might feel differently. Right, right. So you know, looking at this LSU team, sixteen and zero, like I said, off to their best start in program history. You looked at the beginning of their schedule, and you were like, you know, I, I don't really know how good this team is because they haven't really played anybody. And then they went to Maui. And they they faced off against what people thought was a pretty good Oregon State team, and they owned them. And then you enter SEC play on the road at a top twenty five team in Arkansas, and you own them. 
and then you come home and you own Vandy and A&M, and now you went on to Rupp Arena and owned Kentucky. How good is Kim Mulkey's squad right now? Yeah, I mean, look, Matt, I mean, you know, you can, you know, pull up Google and whatever device you, you prefer, and, and, you know, you can type in SEC women's basketball standings, and, and you know, LSU's going to be right there behind South Carolina, you know, on your screen. Uh, and that's where this team is. I mean, they're, they're the second-best team in the league. Uh, in a league that that for all intents and purposes, you know, a lot of people will think that it's a, you know, that it's a you know a two tier league, right? And say it's you know South Carolina and LSU, and then it's everyone else, um, you know. And, and I would I would lightly argue that, uh, yeah, I do think South Carolina and LSU, uh, obviously, if they both hold serve, they will be on a collision course in Greenville, South Carolina, for the SEC tournament championship. Uh, in March, and of course, you know they obviously have the regular season game there up at Colonial Life Arena in Columbia on February 12th. But um, the, the, these are the top two teams in the league. But you, you do have a second tier in this league. You know the Ole Misses, the Arkansas, the Floridas, um, the Alabamas, where you know you got you got teams that will be comfortable at large NCAA tournament seeds uh, this year. Um, and you know you could see. You could see eight teams from the SEC make the NCAA tournament this year, um, you know, and that obviously is a big indicator of just how deep the the league is. You know, I think the ACC right now is probably the best conference in America uh, as you talk about women's college basketball, but I think the SEC is right there. You know, and the Big Ten's also got some some heavy hitters at the top of its conference as well. So um, th- this team is is. Probably ahead of schedule, man. I didn't, I didn't know how this team would open up SEC play. I thought they're. I knew back in you know September before they even started practice that you know their their conference opener at Arkansas. That's a tough place to play, and I knew especially coming off of a a really really weak non conference schedule that that was going to be a big test for this team. I didn't know how with the nine newcomers and you're still sort of forming that cohesion and chemistry how they would perform on the road in their first uh, conference game of the year. And it kind of quelled a lot of my questions, how well they performed at Arkansas, who at that point was, you know, a top 25 team at, at number 24. Um, man, you know, it, it's, it's a team that I thought is, again, it's, it's ahead of schedule. I think a big part of that, right, is Angel Reese and how well she has come in and, and really just sort of taken the leadership role of this team and has put herself in conversation for National Player of the Year already. Um, but, you know, it, it's been some of the other players, too. And I, and I think, uh, look, you, you have to credit Kim. Obviously, she's done a tremendous job of, of, of taking, uh, you know, a team that lost 80% of its offensive production from last year and has found a way to somehow average and score more points than they did last year uh, with almost an entirely brand-new team. So uh, credit to the coaching staff as well. So you know you you brought up that great point, and my my next question you know twenty you finished twenty six and six last year. Kayla Pointer was was a player that just you know did did everything for you uh, last season. She goes on to the WNBA, and then you know you you bring in a, a revamped roster, obviously led by Angel Reese, who has had just an incredible year leading the country in rebounds currently. And, and so obviously you know the the question is the 
an obvious answer to this question is, oh, well, you know, the roster's different or, or whatever. Corey, what's different about this team compared to the one that went 26-6 and six a year ago? Yeah, I mean, I do think it's it's. <laughs> I don't want to 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 sound simplistic with with this answer to your question, Matt. But I mean, it is Angel Reese. I, she is the difference. Um, you put Angel Reese on last year's LSU team, and you know, again, you accompany her with Kayla Pointer. This team certainly doesn't get bounced in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, now, again, they still might finish second in the league behind South Carolina because South Carolina's team last year was just so loaded with Destiny Henderson at, at point guard and Aaliyah Boston, who's the National Player of the Year, and Victoria Saxon and Bree Bill, who should have been the Defensive Player of the Year for all intents and purposes. But anyway, uh, no, I mean, it, it, it's her. Is she... She does something that you know Kim has talked about before, in which she hasn't really coached a whole lot of players in her in her twenty five plus year coaching career. In that, the way that she attacks the glass, whether it's on the defensive end of the floor or it's even the offensive end of the floor, you know she she has this this will about her when it comes to rebounding um, that it, it's it, it's a big separator. You know you can you know if, if team gets a lot of teams get a lot of second-chance opportunities against you. You know, you're going to, you know, the laws of average tell you that you're going to give up more points per game, you know. But also, too, the same on the same side of that token, right, is if you get more offensive rebounds, you allow yourself the opportunity to score more points per game. That's what Angel Reese has done for this team is that she is – they've cut down on second-chance opportunities for, for opposing teams while also giving this team more opportunities to score on the offensive end by getting, you know, offensive rebounds, putting in her own misses, getting putbacks, you know, finding, you know, other open teammates after she pulls down an offensive rebound, and, you know, and they can knock down a shot, you know, from three or, or what have you. But that's the biggest difference that you, the, the presence that this team has on the inside, uh, it, you know, it really opens up a lot of other things that they want to do offensively, you know, with, you know, Pushing the tempo because Angel also has the ability to bring the to bring the ball up the floor, you know. So it it, it opens up all of the lanes for this team, and you really have to find, you know, if you're an opposing coach, you know, and you're scouting this LSU team, you know, there's probably four or five things that you notate, and you can only stop a couple of those things. And so you have to really try to figure out what you're going to stop, you know, and then you just hope that the other aspects of the team doesn't really catch fire like they're more than capable of. And then so far in the 16 teams that LSU's played so far this year, the things that they've tried to stop, either they just weren't successful in stopping them or they did, but the other aspects of this team was able to, to carry the team to a win. So, I mean, it's like Angel didn't have a great game uh, Sunday, you know, at Kentucky. But you had Flage Johnson, the freshman that, you know, she's a freshman, started every game her freshman season so far. She scores 24 points and, and has eight rebounds. I mean, you know, she's doing things that most freshmen don't do. She's come in and has been a vital part, been an integral part of this team. Uh, so they're really hard to defend, man. And it's just, it's, it's a team that I think that, you know, early on, um, you know, you didn't know how this team was going to come together. Um, but now I think it's, I think we've all seen that, you know, it can it can beat you in a multitude of ways, and, and any time a team can do that, they're certainly dangerous. Chatting with Corey Diaz of the Daily Advertiser, you know, you brought up Flauge Johnson. What a what a season she's had, like you said, as a freshman. Alexis Morris as well. She's kind of 
the the veteran of this group. Talk about the guard play that, that Kim Mulkey and her staff have seen this year out of Johnson, Morris, and, and even Jasmine Carson. Yeah, you know, they, they're they're <laughs> I think what Kim likes most about, you know, her three guards, right, is that they're all very different. You know, um you know, Alexis Morris is your floor general. Um, you know, she's been with Kim for several years now. She, she played for Kim at Baylor. Um, so she knows the system better than anyone. And then you have Jasmine Carson, who, who transferred in from West Virginia, who is who's your sharpshooter. She is your sniper. She's the one that could get hot at any point and, and rattle off six, seven straight three-pointers and really, you know, really put the dagger in a team. Uh, and then you have the, the, the freshman sensation in, in Flage, and she is, you know, she's 5'10", uh, you know, she's strong. She, she, she does things that, um, you know, I have not seen um, personally a, 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 a freshman in women's college basketball come in and be able to uh, adapt as smoothly and as quickly to the game as she has. She has a... She has an IQ for the game that I think is is, is certainly well beyond her years, um, and she is she's look she's a guard, but she's going to get in there. She's going to rebound. She's going to bang with the with the bigger bodied uh, players. She's and she's going to pull down a lot of those rebounds too. She has a motor, um, you know, and she is a she's a she's a teammate for this team. That's not gonna uh, she's not gonna settle for threes. She's always going to try to you know uh, put herself in the best position to score if indeed she's looking to score and she also has the ability to pass too so uh, she can really break defenders down on the dribble uh, which I know Alexis Morris can do too but um, you know Alexis Morris she I think she's she's not really counted on to be a a, a uh, prolific scorer and I think she's really comfortable in that role and uh, and I think you've been we've been able to see uh, kind of what that means for this team, you know, kind of taking that scoring pressure off of her because later late in the year last year before she got hurt and missed the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament, she kind of felt you know the pressure to kind of be that second option uh, to Kayla Pointer and Alexis Morris this year is not having to do that. You know, Flage's kind of kind of become that section second option for this team. And I think that's really helped Alexis too. So they're all different. And I think that's what Kim likes about the, the trio of guards the most. Um, and, and I think we've just kind of seen all three of them just kind of grow and flourish in those, in those different roles. Now, Corey, as we start to wrap up, looking ahead to the, the schedule, like we said, 16-0, and 0, off to their best start in program history. This week you travel to Missouri, and then you're back at home on Sunday to take on Auburn. Just kind of talk about the week ahead for Kim Mulkey's crew and uh, what fans can expect out of those two games. <laughs> uh, we can uh, we can be out of here in a couple words. Uh, they can expect wins. <laughs> uh, look, no no offense to you know uh, Missouri or Auburn. Uh, you know, obviously good programs, but you know Missouri's best player uh, in, in Alicia Blackwell. You know, she transferred out, and I think she's actually at Baylor now. Um, you know, from last year, uh, you know, so Missouri's a bit, uh, you know, hampered in terms of, um, you know, kind of just offensive efficiency and, and kind of what now going up to there, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Dawn Staley in South Carolina can, uh, can attest to this, you know, last year, you know, South Carolina went on the road to Missouri last year and ended up losing, you know, so weird things can happen in that building up there sometimes. Um, but, 
uh, just from what I've been able to see through this, you know, with this team this year, you know, they they kind of don't let, um, you know, kind of the elements bother them. You know, they, they just kind of go in, they handle their business. And, uh, and Auburn, you know, they're, they're the worst team in the league. Um, that should easily be a 40-point win for LSU uh, in the PMAC uh, this coming weekend. And, um, you know, I, I expect – look, this team is – I, I I would be more shocked if the game at South Carolina on February twelfth is not a is not a matchup of two undefeated teams. I, I'd be more shocked by that if than if they did. You know what I'm saying? It's this is a collision course. I think Kim. Um, you know, again, I, I think this team and this program is ahead of schedule. I don't think she anticipated um, you know sixteen and zero and and you know, doing things that this program hasn't done in its history before. I don't think she anticipated accomplishing these things in just her second year in Baton Rouge. Um, but she's done it, you know. And, and, again, credit to her and her staff. They, they obviously hit the transfer, uh, transfer portal really well this year, got the right pieces, and they also, uh, you know, recruited the high school kids really well, too. Um, you know, Samaya Smith is another freshman who's actually done a great job impacting some games. She does it on the defensive end of the floor, more so than scoring, uh, she's one of the, the the team's leaders and shot blockers. I think she's right behind Angel Reese in that stat. So um, you know they've got the right pieces, um, and this is a you know I think this is a two horse race, man. In the SEC. Um, I would not be surprised if, if South Carolina and LSU are playing for the SEC tournament championship in March, and and uh, you know who knows with the way the seating could work for the NCAA tournament, it could be you know if LSU wins that game. They end up clinching themselves a one seed. So, um, you know, there's a lot on the line as this thing keep, keeps going. Um, but, yeah, to answer your question, man, I think I think two more wins is probably the expectation for, for LSU women's basketball fans for the rest of this week for sure. Corey Diaz of the Daily Advertiser joining us here on Crunch Time. Corey, appreciate you as always, man, and enjoy the ride that Kim Mulkey and LSU are about to put you on. And uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good, brother. Appreciate you. Y'all take care. And there he goes, Corey Diaz of the Daily Advertiser. We have the gifts you really want in the game. Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Score a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort, a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort, a $40 gift card to Misfits Dine and Drink in Broussard, or a $50 gift certificate to Richard's Seafood Patio in Abbeville by joining the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. Sign up today. We'll take a timeout. When we return, James and I will give you our preview of the national title game before we turn it over to Jamie Plunkett of Frogs today to talk about the Horned Frogs before tonight's contest inside SoFi Stadium right here on The Game. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and world champion Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 523 on your Monday. James, let's preview the national championship game tonight between TCU and Georgia inside SoFi Stadium. You know, you look at Georgia, 14-0, defending national champion. They would be only the fifth or sixth 
team to ever repeat as national champ. Uh, and then TCU, you know, 13-1. and one, Their only loss coming in the conference championship game. One of the top teams in college football this year. Haven't won a national title since 1939. They're looking to change that. And doing it all in, in year one under Sonny Dykes. The line for this game is Georgia is a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. I think that is absurd. Please, if I have ever offered any betting advice on this show, please take TCU in the points. It looks really juicy. Please take TCU in the points. It looks very juicy You, because you look at it. TC, you thought they couldn't beat Michigan, a.k.a. me. Um, <laughs> and and they they find a way to win. They find a way to really punch oh, Michigan in the didn't, mouth. They didn't. Well, uh, uh, that's fair. That's fair. I was going to. That's that's fair. They they punched them in the mouth when people didn't think they were really going to be able to. They outmuscled Michigan when they didn't think they were going to be able to. They really showed that they are a really good team. They have, come, they have been able to do it. And overall... You look at two touchdowns, that does seem really juicy because you're like, Georgia, at times, kind of felt like they should have lost a couple of games. Yeah. You thought they, they should have lost to Kentucky. They should have lost to Missouri. It, you felt like they Missouri had a really good chance to win that game. I, I don't blame you for believing that at all. In fact, even me, even I feel like 13-14 is a little too much. Could it, could it get ugly? And Georgia ends up winning of by it could. by seventeen. Oh, it very that it very easily could. But the chances of that happening. But the chances, it do, it doesn't feel too much because TCU continues to prove us wrong. Because early on the season, it was like okay, I mean yeah, you beat the first first three teams on your schedule: Colorado, Tarleton, and SMU, and you beat them pretty handily against pretty weak opponents. And then you were able to win by thirty-one against Oklahoma who at the time was ranked. It, lo- it looked good. It looked and good then, at the time. And then you beat Kansas. And, and you were able you to beat, beat Oklahoma Kansas. State. And, and you, then beat you beat Kansas, Kansas State, State. Who then got their revenge. I, it, it's just, this is a team that just gets it done. And, you know, you, you talked about Michigan, who absolutely owned Owned Ohio State in the final game of the regular season. Absolutely owned them. Won the Big Ten Championship. TCU. That game was not as close as the score indicated. TCU punched them in the mouth. And then while Michigan was on their back, TCU stomped on them. There were two instances in that ball game that TCU was up. 17 plus. It was 21 to 3 in the second quarter. And then at one point, it was 41 to 22 in the second half. And then 51 to 38. TCU had Michigan's number all night long. Michigan got some some plays in at, at points and were able to trade touchdowns with TCU for a period. Uh, but, I mean, you, you never really slowed TCU down. 
And the the thing that sticks out for me with TCU is their ability to torch defenses through the air. What did LSU do to Georgia in the SEC championship game? Set a championship game record for passing yards. Now, am I saying the TCU is going to throw for 500 yards on Georgia's defense? No. I, I can't say that with certainty. What I can say, though, is that Duggan, Duggan could get to 300. TCU is going to sling the ball around the yard. They're going to bust. They're going. They're going to break a big one tonight. It just. It seems inevitable. It's just going. It's going to happen. Now, in saying all this, am I saying that TCU is going to win? I think they will. Would I be surprised if Georgia wins? No. I don't think anybody would be. No, because they're the. They're the 13-point favorite. If anyone is surprised that if when Georgia wins this game, I, I mean, I, I don't know what I can do for you. TCU can very easily win this football game. Georgia's got weaknesses that TCU can exploit. And then on, on the counter, kind of the same thing. TCU's got weaknesses that Georgia knows how to exploit. Who can make the least amount of mistakes? As cliche as that sounds. That that's the that's the game plan tonight. Which quarterback turns the ball over less? Because here's the thing. We were talking about Michigan and TCU earlier before the show. And yes, they forced two pick sixes. And they were able to also force a fumble and recover that. But TCU turned the ball over three times as well. To me. You can't if if you're TCU, you, you can't necessarily rely on getting a bunch of turnovers on Georgia because they don't turn the ball over very often. They don't. It's fair. And and especially with that with TCU, you have to be care- you want to sling it, go ahead, but you've also got to be be careful with the ball because what when you play a great defense like Georgia, you make one mistake, what are they going to do? Like the Patriots, they capitalize on it of the old days. They're going to capitalize on your mistakes, and that's where they get you. If you're TCU, I don't say you, I'm not saying you necessarily have to play the absolute best perfect game of your life, but you got to play almost mistake free. the The only mistakes that you can make are slight ones. If you if you start misreading coverages and you're practically in Max Duggan's practically throwing it into Georgia defenders' hands, oh, it's going the Bulldogs' way. They're going to eventually start catching those, and you might see them return one for a touchdown, yep. and then you'll get a taste of your own medicine. So to me, there's a lot more that rides on TCU having to make sure that they play perfect than necessarily Georgia. Because we've seen Georgia play very poor at times. But what have they been able to do? Still handle business, make sure that the opposing team can't really score, and they put up enough points and handle the clock and chew it down to where they can win handily enough. Has Georgia played a team like TCU yet, though? That's the that's the question. If you look at Georgia's schedule, is there a team on there that says there have been there have been some nice wins? They're they're better than TCU. Tennessee, maybe Tennessee was at the time. Yes, at, at the time, yes. But looking back on it now, is Tennessee a better team than TCU? Probably. Mm. No, 
No, I'm, you disagree. I'm I'm saying Tennessee is worse. Okay. Yeah, I'm saying Tennessee is especially with Hendon Hooker being injured. So because that because that's the biggest driving factor is so, you no longer so we, have Hendon Hooker. So so we agree that Georgia has not faced a better team than TCU. Well, you can also say that the other way. What is what has TCU played a Georgia type team yet? Michigan. I think, Mich- I think Michigan and Georgia are very similar. I mean, that's fair. I, think, I, I still I think I very s- similar. I think Georgia would have very easily handled Michigan. Because I think we would have still seen the same type of performance by Michigan, whether they play TCU or Georgia. You still would have seen a lot of mistake football by J.J. McCarthy and those Wolverines. So who wins tonight? I'm taking the Bulldogs. I'm going to maybe maybe not necessarily the 13-14 like the spread says. Oh, that's, that's absurd. But I could see this as a 38-27 game. I'm going. You, you maybe J, maybe Max Duggan they get down and they get one more touchdown and they maybe try to get like an onside kick and maybe they get another field goal to put it within eight and try to get an onside kick. But other than that, to me, it's 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 going to be dogs. 48-41 TCU. Mm. Take a time By out. seven. Wow. Oh, yeah. We'll take a time out when we return. Jamie Plunkett of Frogs Today joins us. He'll give you his take on the Horned Frogs and the title game tonight right here on The Game. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and world champion Houston Astros. A recent survey said that game listeners prefer our station than filing their taxes. Take that, taxes. This is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back in to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez here on your Monday afternoon. In the national championship game tonight between top-ranked Georgia sitting at 14-0 on the season and the third-ranked Cinderella, if you will, in, in TCU sitting at 13-1 and on the season. Five and seven just a year ago. So definitely a, uh, a, a crazy story in college football this season. Here to talk about it. Today is our friend Jamie Plunkett. Jamie, thanks for taking the time, man. How are you? I'm doing well, Matt. I appreciate you having me on. So, you know, Jamie, we've talked to you before when when baseball season was around. But, you know, talking about the TCU football team, what a crazy year that that this has been for the Horned Frogs in, in year number one under Sonny Dykes to have this run that their one loss being in the Big 12 title game to Kansas State. You upset Michigan in the college football playoff semifinals, and now you're only you're playing for only your second national championship in school history. Yeah, it's, it's pretty shocking to, to think that TCU's in this position when this time last year they were about a month into the Sonny Dykes era. Uh, but when you take a look at everything Sonny has done in the calendar year of 2022 and then obviously the first few weeks of, of January of this year, uh, he's really done everything exactly as you could hope for as, as a fan of TCU or as, as someone who, who uh, gives to the school. He says everything right. He does everything right. He comes off as pretty authentic. He's recruiting at a high level, and obviously he's taken the talent that was already at TCU along with a couple transfers into the program, and he's turned them into uh, a playoff-caliber program in just one season. So it's a pretty impressive year one for Sonny. Now, you know, you, you talked about Sonny Dykes. I, I read an article earlier today from from our friend Ross Dellinger over at Sports Illustrated, and it, it kind of went into Sonny Dykes' first year uh, up in Fort Worth 
and replacing Gary Patterson after coaching under Patterson just a couple years ago at TCU. And one thing that really stuck out to me was when Coach Dykes talked about how unusual it was to replace a guy that has a statue on campus. Can can you just kind of go into the the crazy events of you know moving on from Gary Patterson after such a long tenure and, and now going to Sunny Dykes? Yeah, it definitely uh, was a, an interesting and, and relatively uncomfortable time when when it became pretty apparent that Gary was on his way out and that there was going to be a new head coach for the Frogs. Uh, you know, I don't think I'll ever forget that Halloween of twenty one. I'm out with my kids, and I get a phone call that says, you know, Gary's going to be gone starting today. And then news broke a couple hours later that Patterson and TCU had parted ways. It it is interesting that um, that it happened in the middle of the season, that it happened the way it did. You you already mentioned that he has a statue on campus. He's the winningest coach in in program history. But I think there had been, over the the final few years of his time at TCU, kind of a – a complacency that had started to creep into the building a little bit. Um, they weren't recruiting as, at quite as high a level as they had. They weren't winning, obviously, as they had in uh, the first 15 or so years of his time at TCU. And frankly, winning you know covers a lot of a lot of other stuff. It, it allows you to deal with some of the issues that you might face on a week to week or month to month basis with a with a person. And uh, when Gary stopped winning. Uh, he started to maybe rub some folks the wrong way, especially in the administration, and they finally had to sit down and have a conversation with him. Never an easy position to be in, to be an athletic director or president of a university and have to have a hard conversation with a legendary head coach like Patterson. Um, but props to Victor Boschini, the chancellor at TCU, and Jeremiah Donati, the athletic director. They did the hard thing. Um, and obviously the conversation didn't go as well as they wanted it to because Patterson stepped away midseason instead of waiting until the end of the year. Uh, which kind of forced their hand. And so they all of a sudden were dealing with a head coach that walked out the door halfway through a year that wasn't going well, uh, and they had to start a coaching search. So they hired a a coaching firm to help them with that process and ultimately landed on Sonny Dykes after interviewing a few other candidates as well. So, you know, looking at this 2022 season, you, you get wins over Oklahoma, Kansas, Oklahoma State, Kansas State. It was a brutal stretch of four top 25 games there. And then... You go to Texas, and you take down Texas in dramatic fashion, followed up with a even more dramatic win o- over Baylor with the what's being called the runoff field goal. Uh, you know, Max Duggan coming in at quarterback this year af- after you know being fairly inconsistent during his time in Fort Worth and just having a breakout season as a Heisman finalist. Just kind of talk about the whirlwind for, for not only Horned Frog fans, but for the coaching staff, for the media, and even the players that uh, 2022 has been? Well, I think you described it pretty accurately when you, when you called it a whirlwind. Uh, you know, once they hit the ground running in fall camp, uh, it was pretty apparent early on that things were going to be operating a little bit differently under Sonny Dykes than they had under Patterson. You know, the, the music was blaring at practice. Practices were open to the media, which was a new thing for, for people who covered the team for a long time. Uh, players seemed to be having fun again. The new strength and conditioning staff really worked hard in the spring and early in the fall to get these guys into shape, get them healthy, get them eating right. Um, took a lot of, of care around uh, the mental aspect of, of playing football and being a student athlete as well, which I think was a breath of fresh air for the program. Uh, but then the team started winning. You know, Max Duggan, you mentioned him, he, he lost the job in fall camp. He wasn't the starter going into that first game against Colorado. And then Chandler Morris 
goes down with a knee injury in the third quarter, and Duggan comes in and leads the Frogs to a victory, leads three straight scoring drives, I believe, in that game to help the Frogs pull away from the Buffs, and then just never lost in the rest of the regular season. Beats Charlton State really easily, beats SMU over in Dallas, which was a rivalry win. And then we all kind of remember what the Frogs did against Oklahoma, that 55-24 win in week five of the football season. And that was when I believe the coaching staff and the, and the team really started to believe that they could do something special. You, you put a, a win like that on a team like Oklahoma, and that opened a lot of eyes around the country. And it, it did within the building, too, for the Horn Frogs. Um, and they were able to carry that momentum into wins over Kansas and Oklahoma State and Kansas State. Uh, and then, obviously, you mentioned the bazooka package at the, at the end of the Baylor game as well, which they practice every Thursday uh, in season. And, you know, I think they just caught a lot of momentum, caught some breaks along the way too, but ultimately they realized that uh, the talent they had on the roster was capable of going toe-to-toe with everybody in the country, That they, you know, anybody that you roll out on the field against them. You know, they proved that again last week in the Fiesta Bowl against Michigan. And so uh, I think it's one of those things where TCU fans haven't really come up for air yet. They're still just enjoying the ride, but when they look back on the season, regardless of the results tonight, uh, they're going to enjoy uh, what they remember about the 2022-23-1 Frogs. Jamie Plunkett of Frogs Today joining us here on the on the afternoon of the national championship game between Georgia and TCU. Looking at TCU's backfield, led by Kendra Miller, 1,400 yards, 17 touchdowns on the season. You've also got Imani De Mercado, and, and even people tend to forget the, the third head of that group in Imani Bailey, the Louisiana transfer, Kendra Miller had had an injury of sorts against Michigan in the semifinal. He's listed as questionable for tonight. What's the latest on his status? And then just kind of talk about this this running back room. Uh, yeah, Miller Miller tweaked his MCL in that second quarter against Michigan, and we saw what De Mercado was able to do after he came out rushing for 150 yards and a touchdown, really helping the Frogs seal that game away late with some hard runs uh, up the middle of that Michigan defense, but. You know, Miller is a, a unique back in that he is big and strong. He's got elite speed, and he seeks out contact. He, he wants to hit you. He wants to punish you for trying to tackle him. And he has uh, a good percentage of his 1,400 rushing yards this year after contact, uh, which I think is really impressive for a Big 12 running back. You don't see that style of running in the Big 12 very often. Um, but Amari DiMercato is a completely capable back as well in his own right. He's a little bit of a different runner. Um, also doesn't mind having uh, guys get in his face, doesn't mind making contact with people. Uh, but he's a six-year senior guy. He's got two degrees in hand already. Uh, so he's, he's one of those more mature veteran leaders that TCU has ha- ha- been able to lean on this year. And like you mentioned, Imani Bailey, the transfer from Louisiana, who uh, has contributed as well to help seal that game. And, um, you know, if Kendra isn't able to go tonight, I think he will be able to go. Uh, they, they've really taken care of him this week. He hasn't really practiced a ton. Had a lot of uh, tests done earlier in the week to just make sure that everything was kind of stable in that knee. I think he's going to end up giving it a go tonight. But if he is limited, uh, look for Di Mercado to get the lion's share of the carries and then for Bailey to kind of be that uh, up-tempo back, that, that change of pace back uh, when the Frogs want a different look out there on the field. Also, it's really important to remember number 17 to Trent Battle, the converted quarterback, who every time he comes into the game, it seems like they're running a wheel route pass to him. So that, that might be something to look forward to if he's out on the field. And then a wide receiver, Quentin Johnson, has really been such a great story with 59 catches, just over 1,000 yards, and six touchdowns. Tay Barber as well. Just kind of talk about this receiving core 
that Max Duggan has had this season and how they've been able to, to really help this offense shine? Yeah, Max has definitely been the beneficiary of a really, really fast wide receiver room, and I think that's something that uh, a lot of people haven't recognized national, on the national level for this TCU team is Quentin Johnson is not only 6'4", about 215, 220 pounds, but he runs a 4'4", 40. And that, I mean, you saw that elite speed on display on that 76-yard touchdown he had in the Fiesta Bowl against Michigan. But Tay Barber, Darius Davis, uh, some of these other backs, Gunnar Henderson, that are, that are really quick, smaller backs, but, but really fast, uh, are capable of finding uh, room in a defense to you know, get get the ball and, and make something happen. And Max has done a tremendous job all year of doing that first step of getting the ball out there and, and letting them make plays. And then, you know, defensively for, for this team, Bud Clark ha- has been a great story as well with five interceptions so far on the season. Johnny Hodges and D. Winters as well. Just kind of talk about the, this defense for, for the Horned Frogs and how they'll be able to slow down a high-powered Georgia offense. It, it, you know, I think the Three three five defenses put uh, making a name for itself uh, with Joe Gillespie at defensive coordinator and the Frogs the way they ran it against Michigan. You know, um, it's it's not a defense that's well known for uh, being a run stopper, but the way that Gillespie has this schemed up and the way that um, these teams, these guys have executed his defense this season, it has been a, a very strong defense for the Frogs. Um, I, I think that the interesting thing about this particular style of 3-3-5 is that Gillespie does a really good job of keeping offensive blockers guessing on where their assignment is coming from in that scheme. So they, they position guys a little bit differently. They disguise things really, really well. And that gives them an advantage in the run game and in the secondary when uh, you're not exactly sure who's covering who on the back end of that defense. As we start to wrap up with Jamie Plunkett, Tonight in the national championship game, if TCU wants to lift their first national championship trophy, what are three keys to victory for the Horned Frogs? Uh, there's no doubt that the Frogs are a big underdog tonight, but I think if, if you're looking for three keys to their success this evening, I think the first thing is you gotta you got to have solid blocking on that offensive line. The offensive line has to give Max Duggan time to make his reads, to get the ball out and and get it out on time. Um, I, I would expect the Frogs to run a kind of fast tempo offense. We saw that. Um, we saw Ohio State do that in the Peach Bowl with some success, uh, keeping things up tempo, wearing out uh, Georgia's defensive front a little bit with how fast they were going. I would anticipate TCU attempting that tonight. Uh, I think on the other side of things, too, uh, another key is that the Travis Hodges Tomlinson and Josh Newton have to be locked down corners tonight. Stephen Bennett. Uh, loves throwing it to his big receivers on the outside. He doesn't really care if they're covered or not. He's going to give them an opportunity to catch the football. And so look for TCU's corners to have a big game tonight. That would be a huge step in the right direction for TCU if they wanted to pull off the upset. And lastly, Max Duggan's got to be Max Duggan. He didn't have his greatest game in that Fiesta Bowl against Michigan. He threw for two interceptions. He didn't uh, eclipse the 300-yard passing mark like he has multiple times this year. Uh, but for TCU to find success tonight against Georgia, he's going to have to have one of his bigger games of the season. Jamie Plunkett of Frogs today joining us from Los Angeles for the TCU-Georgia National Championship game tonight. Jamie, appreciate you as always. Enjoy the game tonight, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Matt, it's always a pleasure. Looking forward to catching up again during baseball season. And there he goes, Jamie Plunkett of Frogs today. Look, you know, if we're honest, 
we tend to have a lot of fun here at, at the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, a Delta Media station. If you are looking for a career change and have any type of sales experience, retail, telemarketing, everything in between, Delta Media wants to hear from you. Email your resume to sales director, Jeanette Cochran at jcochran at deltamediacorp.com or you can call 896-1600. We'll take a timeout here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. NFL Wildcard Weekend is here. It's easiest to get into the playoffs with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. New customers join today and get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up with promo code KLWB. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads and even player props. You can even bet on a chance to get a bigger payday with the same game parlay. I'm going to take the over on Tom Brady's passing yards, a Rashad White anytime touchdown, and then a Mike Evans anytime touchdown, all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So football fans, don't miss out. Place a $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, with promo code KLWB. Make every moment more when the official sports betting partner of the NFL with FanDuel. You must be 21 or older and present in Louisiana. Permitted parishes only. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable free bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. Appreciate Corey Diaz and Jimmy Plunkett. Jamie Plunkett for coming on to talk about TCU and the LSU women, ladies, Tigers. We'll be back tomorrow to recap the national championship. You've been listening to the game here on 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles.